This is the Slowing Down Podcast, and I'm your host, Jana Slow Akimova. Today, let me introduce you to my friend, Daniel Final. She's an atheist priestess and artist of human emotions. Daniel also worked as an illustrator in the fashion industry and published her book, Draw Fashion Now. We recorded this episode in November 2021, right before another lockdown in Montreal. In this intimate conversation, Danielle opens up about her slow childhood, a career in fashion, sudden cancer, and her way as an artist. I hope you'll enjoy it. Please welcome Danielle Final. Hi, Danielle. <laughs> Hi, Jana. Could you please talk a little bit about yourself and what you do? I, uh, I'm an atheist priestess. Uh, I got here by a very roundabout route. I don't know how else I could have gotten here. I was a pretty dedicated materialist for many, many years, worked in the fashion industry even, uh, very much buying into the idea that if I didn't feel great, at least I could look great. And at a certain point, I realized that without the good feeling, it really wasn't working for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I kind of underwent a a spiritual transformation. However, I come from a long line of atheists, so naturally this spiritual transformation uh, has a little bit of a contrary nature to it, which I struggle to understand and yet also must embody. I met the spirit of Socrates Mm -hmm. uh, at his prison in Athens uh, overlooking the Acropolis, And uh, in a very joking manner, he bestowed upon me the title of Atheist Priestess, to which I objected. Mm -hmm. I said, uh, I don't want to have arguments with rational materialists. Uh, and then uh, he proposed, uh, so w- w- what else do you have planned for your life? And I simply didn't have an answer. <laughs> so that's how I became an atheist priestess. Mm-hmm. I've spent the subsequent three years trying to figure out exactly what that means. Uh, I came to Montreal and I found my temple. Mm-hmm. A really beautiful apartment in Montreal's amazing Plateau neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Confirming that it's a beautiful space. You just uh, walk in inside of the temple and you feel the vibrations there. (laughs) Yeah, especially if you're a sensitive one like Jana. I started to do some divination and I was accepting guests from around the world. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, this uh, pandemic happened, Mm -hmm. which sort of derailed my plans a little bit. And it was followed by a breast cancer diagnosis, Mm -hmm. which derailed my plans further. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have spent uh, most of the time since June 2020 uh, in treatment. And fortunately, uh, I am cancer-free now. Yes. And of course, once you're cancer-free, you have to recover from the treatment, which is what I have been doing since then. Mm Mm-hmm. And undergoing, uh, you know, a a really radical change. I thought I had uh, an idea of what I was going to do. And now I'm realizing that having faced my mortality, Mm -hmm. I will have to do it differently. Right. And so that brings us up to the present moment. Mm -hmm. Would you say that this experience slowed you down? And uh, is it in a good way or in a bad way and uh, or somewhere in between? I have honestly never been a particularly high achiever. Um, I was very fortunate. I grew up on a small farm and was homeschooled as a child by parents who, you know, were somewhat alternative in their views. Um, You know, they were interested in living a simpler life. They came from the city and moved to the country. They built a log house. Mm -hmm. They decided to garden and have animals. And so that was where I grew up. And they never emphasized, uh, like, achievement at school or anything. Mm -hmm. I was already a pretty intelligent child, I guess. I learned how to read basically by myself very young. 
they never pushed me. Mm-hmm. They never emphasized uh, grades or or anything like that. And so I guess uh, I was indoctrinated with this sort of slow philosophy from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. You're the child of slow life. <laughs> yeah, which I rebelled against. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, decided to pursue status um, for, uh, you know, a couple decades. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even then, however, I wasn't able to really keep a regular job. Um I never made that much money. Mm-hmm. I've always kind of taken on my life with this idea that it's just like, let's see what I can get away with. <laughs> so even even when I was working in the fashion industry, I think I was a little bit, I was never in a rush exactly. Mm-hmm. That said, you know, I, I did buy into the idea of, you know, appearances mattering and I did buy into the idea that some people might be better than other people. I certainly used up my fair share of jet fuel running uh, around from city to city, London, New York, Paris, as you do. Very fashionable cities. <laughs> yeah, I would go to fashion weeks, which of course mm-hmm. would always involve quite a lot of running around, you know, from location to location in the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was it was all a grand adventure for a while until it wasn't anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, since then, it has been a very much a, a slowing down, sometimes very dramatically and sometimes more gradually. Mm-hmm. I was very influenced by a friend who introduced me to meditation. Mm-hmm. I was only given one instruction, which was to keep my back straight. Mm-hmm. I've since then become a daily meditator, which has really changed my view uh, of my life experience. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, nothing slowed me down more than this cancer experience. This was really the case where it didn't matter how I would have liked to get it over a lot faster, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It really is the case where, like, when I I went into it, I was like, oh, they'll just cut it out of me, and and then, you know, I'll go back to my life, right? But... Mm -hmm. That's not the way cancer works. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was six months of chemotherapy and then another two months of radiotherapy. Um, wow. Really kind of an arduous and, you know, just required more patience than I actually have mm-hmm. to get through. And then after that, really being worn out and not being able to do the things that I used to do, I would push myself sometimes. I'd be like, okay, I want to get fit again. I'm going to go running and do mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I would just wear myself out. Right. So every effort that I made to make things go faster actually ended up making things take longer. All right. Uh, so I think... In terms of uh, being forced to be slow, mm-hmm. uh, this was the most extreme uh, experience of that I've had. Wow! Thank you so much for sharing it. And it's like I cannot even imagine it's eight months, and it's like this almost like I, I cannot even imagine what was happening in your head and within also like your body and your mind, and. Um, and just, I, I cannot avoid but ask you maybe like a little bit, you know, kind of stereotypical question, but what what would be like the biggest lesson you learned throughout this experience, especially like in the context of idea of slowing down when you're doing it, not because you choose it, right, but because you are slowed down by the circumstances? I guess the biggest and hardest lesson that I learned was that It's absolutely imperative for me to treat myself very kindly. Mm-hmm. And that that sometimes means that I can't do what I want. Mm-hmm. 
that was a tough one to take on. Wow. I feel you. Um, I want to go a little bit back. Um, when you talked more about your childhood, you mentioned uh, that you've never been a high achiever. Would you say that high achiever, would you as associate that with the fast kind of speed of life? Like I would have had to work a lot harder. I could have worked a lot harder and made a lot more money mm-hmm. and probably been more successful. And stressed. Probably more stressed also. Um, but for some reason, I, I, I wasn't really granted that kind of ambition. I always felt like as long as I was paying my rent, then that would be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me seven years of being self-employed before I finally made enough money that I would have to collect taxes for the government. In Canada, that's $30,000, at which point I felt like I was wealthy um, because I, I actually had more money than I needed to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was always kind of of the opinion that once I had, you know, covered my monthly expenses, I could just take my foot off the gas. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, party or whatever it was I wanted to do. (laughs) Well, um, I really hear that you have very special relationships with slowing down and or speeding up. And uh, especially with your unique experience, maybe not unique experience, but it's like, for me, it's uniquely how you see your experience, right? And so what did appeal to you to come today and talk about the slowness? So what is your relationships with that besides uh, the background in childhood and that you were like running away a little bit uh, from your parents to like, you know, their slow life to Paris, London, and New York City, like the speediest cities in the world. So why it appeals to you today? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, when I talked about like my hard lesson learned from cancer and how I have to treat myself much more kindly, whether I want to or not, um, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I want to. And so right now I've given myself a couple of months. They say, you know, the cure is one thing, but healing is another. Wow. Um, I might have been cured of cancer, uh, but the healing is like the spiritual component of recovering from the illness. Mm -hmm. Cancer is essentially the body becoming confused about what is the self and what is not the self. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a pretty profound thing to like wrap one's mind around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I need some time to do it. All right. So I am in the very fortunate position right now where my schedule is empty. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely nothing that I have to do other than to treat myself kindly. And I'm not going to start working again Mm -hmm. until I feel like I've resolved something, which I don't even really know what that resolution is yet. But I just have to engage with this process, which let me tell you, Jana, It's a slow process. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. Wow. Um, I love that you have this free time and this ability to not plan. You still mentioned that a couple of months. Um, Is that rough couple of months or you're flexible of expanding the time? Like, I still want to do things. (laughs) Even though I don't really have the energy for it, I still want to do things. I still have this feeling that there is something that I need to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though that couple of months has been pushed forward now for a couple of months... (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know when that's going to happen. It's kind of like, when's this pandemic going to be over? You know, oh, like, right. uh, will that be in a couple months or like a couple of months from a couple months? Or like, will it ever be over? Like, I we just don't know at this point. But I do know yeah. that it's like at a certain point, you know, it's going to be time for me to you know, do what you're doing, which is mm-hmm. engage with the world, create work, find the people who respond to the work. Um, I'm only 39 years old. I'm not retired yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm curious if you would say that you have certain like slow practices or any kind of practices or something what helps you to tap into this rhythm At some point, you, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but like you stopped pushing too much, right? You you stopped trying to be fast and like, come on, I want to recover. But so you just let go. And okay, if it's slow process, let it be the slow process. But what does help you to sustain this mindset? I'm really forced to. It's a process that happens on the cellular level. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's actually not something that you can get yourself out of with any type of effort. In other words, like when I would spend effort, say like it's like, oh, I want to have more energy, so I'm going to exercise more. I actually take away take away all my energy when I do that. And then I I'm even in even worse condition than I was before. I, it's a setback. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like slow practices, it's just realizing that it's like, okay, you know, I was on a course of treatment that essentially poisoned my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it made my fast growing cells all died. They all had to grow back. <laughs> Uh, Mm -hmm. that's a process which I have to leave up to biology. There's nothing I can do to accelerate it. Mm -hmm. And so I had to give up. And I appreciate this, this, this sense of giving up, releasing things to, you know, the above, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I'm a very bad atheist. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, I I had to give up. I I had to be like, I need to sleep 12 hours a night, Mm -hmm. and then I need to have a nap during the day also. Right. I I just didn't have energy. I wanted to see my friends, but I just didn't have the energy for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to, anything that I did, I had to be very, very selective about... Um, and so, you know, in terms of slow practices, I would, I would say that it's like, I, I, (laughs) it's, uh, it's just the way things must be. Right. But for example, you mentioned earlier that your friend uh, introduced you to meditation. Would you consider meditation being like slow practice? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it just, you, you don't see the benefits of it until you've done it every day for years. Mm Mm-hmm. It's incredible to me. I, I'm completely addicted to it. I literally look forward to sitting on my cushion every day. It's a process of getting more and more subtle insights into the what it's like to live on inside myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have any formal instruction other than keep my back straight, so it has been a completely... S- solo journey for me the meditation thing mm-hmm. it's it's a very gradual gradual process i guess the other practice is the journaling mm-hmm. um so i've been keeping the journal now for maybe six or seven years mm-hmm. three pages every day as per julia cameron uh just a small book so they're just small pages it's not, <laughs> not anything grand <laughs> um it's also been a practice where the the reasons for doing it didn't become very clear until after i had been doing it for a few years wow interesting yeah i mean i have very personal relationships with writing the journal um and i saw that as an escape from whatever was happening with me when i was a teenager and then it just became a habit 
and then I've never actually um, had the ability to reflect on why it was helpful until you actually gave me the book um, and by Julia Cameron, right, the artist way. And then I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so would you say, for example, if uh, meditation, uh, it does bring the benefits eventually. It's not like you meditate today and tomorrow you feel awesome. No. So it's a, it's a slow process too. And the writing is also, if I understand like a little bit about meditation processes, I don't really understand why the writing actually works. <laughs> If you could just explain me, because I'm just doing this intuitively. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, when it comes to the meditation, it's like you actually are literally slowing down your brain waves. Mm-hmm. The slower brain waves is, is where you're you're going to. With the journaling and the writing, um, I sort of see it as a way of like clearing off the crap off the top of your brain. So like all of your sort of like mm, anxieties or like just sort of distracted thoughts or anything that is just sort of uh, getting in the way of you actually doing your creative work. It's just like having a place to put all that stuff because like if you express it and you essentially are processing it because you are writing it down. So mm-hmm. you're like taking useless kind of blocking sort of thoughts and placing them in the book, mm-hmm. writing them down. Then you've had your expression, you know, you, you've you've had your place to complain and, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever, whatever sort of garbage you've got to work out, you've worked it out of the way. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can move on to actually thinking about and working on whatever it is that you're actually supposed to be working on. So I see it as a kind of uh, a mental hygiene practice. Oh, that's amazing. I remember um, back when I was uh, living in ashrams, like in Thailand, and I would always uh, do the jobs of swiping and sweeping, sorry. And so this action of sweeping, I would just imagine sweeping my brain, <laughs> like mm-hmm. sweeping away this like kind of uh, fast going thoughts, which are just just loop in my mind. Again. Oh, interesting. So I feel feel like I have to maybe give a little context and digression just right. in terms of slowness and fastness. So like one of the reasons why I was interested in meditating in the first place was because I wanted to get good at drawing fast. Whoa, talk more about that. That's amazing. <laughs> I used to go to fashion shows mm-hmm. and I uh, became interested in the idea of sketching at the fashion show while the fashion show was happening just really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found that in order to do that, I needed to sort of like get to a more equanimous place. Mm-hmm. You know, fashion shows are very chaotic environments. Uh, there's a lot of loud noises. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of visual distraction. So I was interested in using meditation as a sort of way to like kind of train myself to get into the zone. And so I developed over the course of several years uh, a technique for drawing very quickly, which actually ended up being like my most popular style as a fashion illustrator. And, uh, you know, partly that was really great, too, because it meant I didn't, you know, it's like, oh, I could just draw something really fast. I didn't have to work really hard at it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then it even ended up resulting in uh, I had a book deal. Mm -hmm. The title of the book was Draw Fashion Now. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Draw Fashion Now. They even used the the word now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I came up with the title myself. Ah. Uh, Yeah, and I was quite proud of the title. And um, I I would say that I'm a pretty impatient person, actually. Like, I really, I do not like waiting around. And I have, I don't have very much patience for, um, oh, anything (laughs) (laughs) I mean I'm I'm a bohemian like I Mm -hmm. want to do it my way Um, Mm -hmm. so so I guess I I need to talk about how the meditation practice was initially meant for me to be able to access immediacy and speed so it's about uh, not thinking And just existing in the moment. So, you know, whatever beauty would come before me, it would flow into my eyes, through my arm and out my arm in one complete immediate circuit of energy. 
So, yeah, once I had started engaging in that process, I guess I was already kind of like on the beginning of this sort of spiritual transformation without even realizing it. Certainly, because what you just described me, it reminds me of something what I heard about Reiki, when basically you just transition, just like a vessel for the energy going through you, right? So, and uh, you deattach completely with this, like you're not taking the responsibility almost like for the action itself. Yeah, so what you described right now, <laughs> I would never imagine anyone doing this spiritual practice and drawing fashion that's fascinating <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a bit ridiculous um i ended up sort of starting to get into doing art and like doing much larger pieces and i became really interested in the vibes of the muse and so i started i guess oddly enough like my paintings would i would paint them very quickly But it would be like I would spend so much time just waiting to access the exact right moment. Right. So I would meet the muse, kind of fall in love with them, develop a relationship with them, kind of see if I can get them turned on to the idea of sitting for me, kind of waiting for the perfect time for them to do that. You know, they would have to sort of initiate it, not me, right? The muse is the they're the ones who are bringing the energy, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just up for me to wait for that perfect moment. Um, and then in that perfect moment, the muse creates a space for me to channel whatever it is that they're inspiring in me. I don't even know what it is until it's already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up developing this this style of art practice which looks like it's very spontaneous and in a way it is but it's just like you do have to realize that it, the moment in time that you were looking to capture that moment is not up to you mm-hmm. it's just this convergence of events and feelings and stories and memories that just sort of like happens. And so, you know, I sometimes ask people if like I could paint the same thing twice and I'm like, obviously not. Mm-hmm. Obviously not. <laughs> yeah, because the moment is changing every every moment. <laughs> Sorry right. for repeating the words. But. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess there's a bit of a paradox there between fast and slow, right? Because right. like I'm I'm really interested in doing creative work that is immediate Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, you know, I will spend months and sometimes years entertaining the idea of a painting. Right. Wow. Waiting for the moment, waiting for the scene to set itself exactly right. And then when it becomes time to paint, mm-hmm. it happens very fast. <laughs> wow. That's fascinating. And I would assume that the fastness within the moment when you bring it on the canvas that actually the accumulation of years of work too within the stroke of a paintbrush there is your decades of efforts too so it's almost like this um, very condensed mastery Yeah, definitely in order to develop the style of painting quickly, I had to do many, many thousands of paintings. Yep. And wow. most of them very bad. <laughs> <laughs> But to the extent that I, I sort of seem to have figured out the process to the extent that I am now... Mm, like, I don't practice painting all the time. I'm not the sort of painter who has... A sketchbook mm-hmm. like I don't I don't do that kind of thing um, however if if I feel called to do a painting I'm able to be confident that I would be able to bring it in the moment mm-hmm. um, and you're right it it took a lifetime of yeah figuring out how to do that yeah I feel like that there is some pattern between meditating for years to allow the change to happen 
and uh, training your hands for years to draw, to allow that moment to reveal itself so you could capture it. What I can see, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's there is certain like patterns I, I, I can notice now. Um, I want to go back a little bit. Um, when you mentioned how at one time you realized that, okay, I'm, I'm done with fashion. <laughs> so what happened, if I may ask, if it's too personal, you can uh, keep it to yourself, but uh, how the realization happened for you? So uh, it was my 10th year doing the fashion weeks. Was it really 10 years? Wow. <laughs> it was 10 years. And I was like, I should be more successful than I am. <laughs> but I'm not. Um, I went to this fashion show. It was in the Palais de Tokyo uh, in Paris, which is a modern art gallery. Mm -hmm. um, and I went to the fashion show and the the ladies with the clipboards and the security guards at the fashion show, even though I had a ticket, they were like, oh, you know, sorry, there's no room for you. Like, you know, I, and, and usually in that situation, like, you know, like there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bag of tricks that you can pull out to like weasel your way in. Mm -hmm. And just for some reason at that moment, I was just like, I can't with these people and this stuff anymore. I can't. And I, I turned around and walked away, and in front of me was this stone. The stone uh, was split, and, and in the middle of the stone, there was a hole that was the shape of a man. And apparently, a man had spent a week inside of that stone just previously. He'd actually just exited that stone the day before. So you could even kind of smell the manness in the stone you know and it was like the seat inside of the rock was sort of like seemed to me like equivalent to this you know elusive seat at the fashion show that I was trying to sit in there was something about it that just sort of seemed a little bit poetic but also brutal Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was just like, I, I can't with this anymore. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I had a, I had a tab of acid, which I'd brought with me from Brooklyn. I went, I decided I Sorry, wanted to, to Paris. I, yeah, to Paris. <laughs> I had dropped, I, I decided that I wanted to have a trip about art. So I went to the Louvre. Mm -hmm. I went to the Louvre and I dropped the acid in the Louvre and the Mona Lisa, uh, spoke to me. <laughs> I stood in a crowd of people taking selfies, just, you know, crying my eyes out. <laughs> and while the Mona Lisa gave me the secret to great art, <laughs> uh, on the condition that I attempt to make some. And so that was the moment where I really, um, I don't know if it was an ego death moment, although certainly my ego was trashed, uh, but it was the case that I, I did make a promise to the Mona Lisa that I would do art properly now <laughs> oh, wow. and, you know, not you know, not paint other people's ideas, but follow the muse. Like, actually, like, mm -hmm. I don't know where the ideas come from, but I have to do them. Right. Uh, she said that the secret to great art, which you can see all around you in this beautiful museum, is it's the purest expression of the best human emotions. The best human emotions. That's what she said. I have struggled with this, especially with the adjectives. <laughs> um, <laughs> the purest expression of the best human emotions. And this has been uh, what I've been trying to figure out with my own art ever since. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that she was onto something. And I think you are onto something too. <laughs> <laughs> because I've seen your art, and you're certainly there. <laughs> wow. We try to get like a real, like the real essence of a feeling, to not confuse it too much, and just try to um, try to really get to the point of it, 
Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's not easy, I guess. Um, what exactly is not easy to get into this state, <sighs> or um, or connect with like the kind of true artists? I guess it's a, in the sense that you know, it's we were talking a little bit about like the slowness and mm-hmm. like how. Ultimately, slowness is not my choice. It's it's simply what has to be done. Mm-hmm. So I'm finding that's the case with art as well. It has nothing to do with my will or effort or wanting to make it happen. And everything to do with simply getting out of the way so that the actual transformation, whether it's biological, cellular, or emotional can take place. Mm-hmm. In other words, to really to really get done what I'm aiming to get done requires less effort and not more. There's something that's tricky about that. Right. I'm curious about others Still some aspects which you feel like you would rather speed up. I, I think having, you know, sort of faced my mortality now and still being here, I'm I I no longer feel that sense of urgency mm-hmm. that I used to feel. Um I also I guess feel like the things that I want to do no longer require me to be in healthy and um, you know, vigorous form. (laughs) Forceful healthiness. (laughs) Yeah, so I simply, you know, materialism simply doesn't seem like a good option anymore in terms of, like, assessing my value and what it is that I could possibly do. So there's no... There's no rush to do it. Mm-hmm. I guess the other thing, too, is that I used to feel like, I, I think a lot of people feel like this, that I sort of have to justify my existence for some reason. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's like, oh, I'm here and I exist. And, you know, I better, like, do something to make that worthwhile or at least <laughs> seem worthwhile to other people. <laughs> Nobody decided to be born. Like, you know, you don't have to, like, justify your existence. It doesn't require you to sort of, like be a certain way or do a certain thing or anything like if you just wanted to spend the rest of your life walking around in circles and breathing why not like i'm like that's probably good for the environment so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah i feel like i i used to feel more like my existence needed to be justified somehow. I, mm-hmm. I don't. I no longer feel like that. You just liberated myself. It's like I didn't choose to be born, so <laughs> whatever I do is okay. <laughs> so and if I don't do anything, it's also okay. I love it. <laughs> you might be able to tell that as an atheist priestess, our our official position is determinism. <laughs> We don't believe in free will, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love it. <laughs> In other words, how fast or slow you do it isn't up to you. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Wow. All right. So um I want to go back again into one part of our conversations. Um when I'm sorry, I kind of deviated us into your background, but I I love your life, so that's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when we started, uh, just maybe bringing some idea of, of like practices, right? You named uh, a few, like uh, the meditation, and then writing the pages. And is there anything else? Reading. Mm. I am a giant nerd. Uh, I have spent thousands of dollars on books this pandemic. <laughs> wow. That has been my coping shopping strategy of choice. It's been books and and I quit the social media, so now I have time to read them. I've always been a big reader. You know, mm-hmm. as a little kid, I, I would be sitting in the warm spot by the wood stove on the floor with the cat and the book, and that was like 
you know, my parents basically couldn't move me from that spot. Like, <laughs> oh my God, it, it sounds like a dream place. You know? <laughs> I just want to be there. <laughs> just enter this space. <laughs> yeah, so cool. I mean, I've, I've always, always, always loved reading. Um, mm-hmm. And I was never a particularly healthy child. I wasn't really that interested in activity, even outdoor activity, although I did my fair share of outdoor activity. I was not mm-hmm. that kind of kid. I was very much into the idea of like, okay, you know, I can travel with the mind. I can go any place, anytime, anywhere in in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm big on the whole reading thing. And I mean, now that I'm doing divination with tarot and astrology, having having a very deep uh, and esoteric uh, well of um, knowledge to to tap into is uh, I, I think it's I think it's great. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time. Like I spend a long time mm-hmm. reading every day. All right, reading, meditation, and writing. Um, especially reading and writing, it's so much like mind activities. So I'm curious if you balance it out somehow with other practices to keep yourself a little bit like walking on the ground, if I may say, <laughs> or you don't have that problem like of maybe getting too much in the head and uh, in the thought and like disconnecting a little bit with them. Uh, you got my number. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have almost for my entire life uh, had the sensation that I am like a brain balloon on a string, only tenuously attached to my body. Um, you know, I think like I, I had a very uh, tough experience with pneumonia mm-hmm. uh, when I was about 12 years old. Um, I, I sort of gave up on my body in a way. It was not working the way it was supposed to. It didn't feel like it was supportive. And so, you know, my coping strategy was to escape the body through the mind. Mm-hmm. I've felt a sense of uh, disconnection and alienation from my body for my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the sense that the body is the weak link. And I'm kind of, I, I, I would fantasize about post-biological consciousness. Like, if I could, like, upload my brain into, like, a computer or something, mm-hmm. like, or, like, some sort of artificial intelligence, like, really appealed to me for that reason. I was very into any... The idea of the brain without the body was, mm-hmm. like, an ongoing obsession for me for a long time. Uh, that might be one of the reasons why my body betrayed me. <laughs> Uh, There was a real loss of trust Mm -hmm. there. Um, It's at a conceptual level is what I'm realizing is like, you know, because if you'd ask me, you know, it's like, oh, you know, do you have good self-care practices? I'd be like, yeah, I exercise and I eat well and I do all, I don't smoke and I do all, you know, Mm -hmm. do all the right things. But like at the very basic level, it was a relationship without trust and therefore, the relationship between my mind and my body is without intimacy. Mm. This is essentially the the schism which I am trying to repair mm-hmm. in the post-cancer healing process. If I do really, truly want to embrace existence, I'm going to have to give up on this fantasy that I am a brain without a body. Mm-hmm. In any case where there's a relationship where there has been a, a breach of trust, it's a very difficult thing to rebuild. Uh, and in this case, uh, it's a, a process that is internal. So this is why I come to you, Jana. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored. Um, but I have already a comment because you've spent hundreds if not thousands of hours training your body to draw and it's a physical activity writing is also a physical activity in a way the movement within the canvas especially when you went to the bigger scale right so it's actually involving your body processing 
this on canvas. I see that as reconnecting with your body too. You are using your hands. You are using your breathing, right? You are there in front of the canvas, especially like the canvases you showed me, like which are bigger than you and me. And so, wow, that's a lot of movement in the space, right? That's very interesting to me, if I may, that the body is doing its work, you know, and the head is doing this work, mm-hmm. right? And where is the bridge, right? Right, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting, especially when it comes to my relationship with the muse, because mm-hmm. a lot of my muses are, are dancers or performers. They're people who are often very physically beautiful, who mm-hmm. are very, very vital and vigorous kind of people. Um, often there's a transference Mm-hmm. That happens in the situation where I'm painting them, where it's like, I can only dream of being this healthy and hearty, you know? And and in the process of painting this person is like the closest that I can come to feeling what it's like to be them. Mm-hmm. There's something there which kind of came from inadequacy in a way mm-hmm. it's like here i am existing you know i'm existing in a body which it's not as strong or as resilient as the body i would like to have and it seems that there are limitations to what i can achieve with it and so i became just obsessed and fascinated with people who were so naturally embodied and so vital and so powerful in their physical being. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right, that the sort of gesture of drawing ends up becoming a bridge, and that drawing is very similar to dancing in a way, mm-hmm. because it's... I've heard it said that like dancing is like the purest form of art and all other forms of art are just dancing with various tools in your hands. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so I, I do think there there is something to that. I mean, there is also something to the fact that, you know, I'm very right-handed. And mm-hmm. so there's an intellectualization that occurs in this processing of turning a moment into a piece of art, mm-hmm. taking an emotion, putting it on a canvas. You know how, like, an emotion usually just kind of flies right past you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'd be a really good motion too. Like imagine like you are, you know, you're seeing your beloved, you know, like you're returning to your beloved and, you know, then you hug and the moment is over. But that moment of anticipation where you see them walking towards you, if you're able to like put that on a canvas, mm-hmm. then you can like rest in that feeling in that moment for as long as you want. This right. is the magic of of art. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my God, I just thought about like e-motion. <laughs> wow. Even in the quickness, right, of capturing mm-hmm. a, an emotion really quick, it it's actually so that you can spend a long time with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I live in an apartment now where I'm surrounded by artwork that I've made and I look at it every day and I think about it every day and... And the layers and levels of meaning to these these pieces of my life, which were just brief moments at one time, continue to build upon themselves in this really gradual, really subtle way. I, I'm just absolutely in awe mm-hmm. of art. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to have to keep doing it. Yes, please. <laughs> or not. <laughs> it's all, all right. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> well, it's coming through you anyway. Yeah. So whatever you do is really beautiful. All right. Wow. We spoke for a while. So mm-hmm. I, I look at the um, recording right now and I just want to keep going and speaking, but maybe I can invite you next time and we 
um, expand on something else and maybe we talk about something else or just continue talking if it's okay with you. Yeah, I mean, it would be my pleasure. I, I'm, I'm not in a rush. So, <laughs> yeah, if there's something else, let's go. Always, <laughs> always. Yeah, is there something maybe you can feel on the surface, a little closure or something like that, or maybe some sweeping <laughs> the thoughts from the surface of your mind right now? Mm. It's been very satisfying to say some of the things that I've already said. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've enjoyed that a lot. Um, I've really enjoyed coming downtown and... and uh, being with you it's I, i haven't been on the subway in a year and a half this is one of the first things that i've done that is like a work kind of thing in a really long time <laughs> <laughs> i love to create things with other people mm -hmm. i really miss doing that i mean i still paint at home um mm -hmm. but you know it's not It's not the same as when you have bouncing back and forth between somebody else. Um, so wow. I'm really, I, I just feel hopeful that an event like this would, you know, sort of indicate that, you know, more sort of things like this will be happening. <laughs> <laughs> that would make me feel quite glad because it, it's been a long time of being by myself a lot. Right. Well, first of all, I'm very proud of you that you managed to go underground <laughs> and face all the people. And uh, people are pretty good. They're wearing masks and whoever is not wearing, I'm just uh, walking through this amazing trains in Montreal, which you can just walk endlessly. Yeah. <laughs> There is always an escape, which is important <laughs> for me personally. True. Yeah, yeah. So I'm proud of you for doing this. And I really appreciate you coming here. You blew my mind again. Like every time I hear uh, like stories about your life, I'm just like, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> I mean, I feel the same way about your life. Like you're fascinating to me. <sighs> thank you. <laughs> cool. All right, Danielle, thank you so much for coming. And I wish you a wonderful evening. And I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me, Jana. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Slowing Down podcast. To find more about Danielle Final, visit her website daniellefinal.com. For more information about me and my other projects, go to janaslow.com. J A N N A S L O W.com. This podcast was recorded and mixed at Audio Z Studios in downtown Montreal, Canada. Visit audioz.com for more information. The music is composed by Klatu. Find his tunes on soundcloud.com slash Klaatu, Apple Music, or Spotify. Thanks everyone, and until the next time. <laughs>